Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. I have a question for you. Is anyone here tonight stressed out? <laughs> and you don't have to, yeah, I see some hands going up. You don't have to raise your hands. Uh, I know that if you're here tonight, in fact, if you have a pulse, you're probably stressed out about something. There's probably some area of your life uh, where you are, are feeling it <laughs> in the whole thing. Um, I looked up the word stress in the dictionary just to try to simplify uh, uh, for our understanding and by way of lead into this study tonight. Uh, the word stress it literally means pressure or tension exerted on a material object. And, and I like that definition, but it's only a half definition. Because sometimes, and probably uh, the more relatable definition of that, uh, also includes pressure or tension exerted on an invisible object. Because your soul, your spirit, your mind, your sanity, all of those things are not material objects, and yet they very much have the ability to feel stress. And probably we know for a fact that, that stress has always existed, but, but I would say that probably we live in a day and in a time where there's the potential to have more stress in our lives as individuals probably than any other time in, in human history. I looked up a couple of statistics just for the sake of, uh, of simplicity and clarity on what are the things in our day and age that are the most stressful or the highest stressors for people. And what I found uh, is that according to age, there are different things. But for those that are uh, maybe middle-aged or in the prime of their life or older, the heaviest stressors are things like the fast pace at which the world is changing. You know, the older we become, the less adaptable we are uh, to change. And thus, the speed of change is a stressor upon us because we barely feel like we have adapted to the way things are. And then all of a sudden, things change. You get used to Windows 7, and then it's Windows 8. You barely get Windows 8, and then it's Windows 10, and there's no longer a start button. And then Windows is trying to copy Apple. And, it's, and it just can make your head spin, and that's just in one small arena. And so the speed at which things change, society changes. Also, uh, relational uh, components or relational conflicts is a big thing uh, for, for people that are stressful, whether it be uh, personal relationships in the family or in a marriage or in uh, friendship relationships or on a professional level, uh, the stress that can come through the conflict of having to deal with other people, relational things. Another issue is health. A lot of people are very stressed out about their health, not just because they don't know where or if they're going to get the kind of health care they need for their conditions, but also because of, of the fast and rapid uh, occurrence of new... Uh, another big one, and this kind of goes uh, all across the board, a stressor is a fear of not meeting the high expectations that have been placed upon my life. You know, and we all have that. We have that in our families. We have that in our marriages. Obviously, in our professional uh, lives, we have things that are expected of us, and then even just the unwritten, unspoken things in society that are expected of us, but those things are a stress upon us, the fear of not being able to meet those expectations. I found that for the young, there's a whole different list of things that are stressors. Uh, one of the major ones is the instability or the instability uh, of the world that we live in today. Uh, many young people, in fact, the majority of young people are being brought up in fragmented homes, fragmented families. They have single-parent situations. And there's a general instability that they're being raised up in, and it is creating a stress upon their lives. Another one is a fear of the future, not knowing uh, what they will do, if they will do. Will there be a job or a spouse or what will I have? Will there be money? You know, is there going to be an economy? All of those things, the fear of what's coming in the future. Another one for young people is this new term that has become kind of a viral term, this idea of FOMO, the fear of missing out. 
It's a big stressor on young people, uh, not just missing out on what's in store for me, but what's going on around me, not wanting to miss out on things. Uh, Another uh, thing, and this is a big one, and this is probably all across the board, but it especially pertains to young people, is the, the impossibly high standards that are being that are being put out by social media that I have to, or I feel like I have to adhere to. You know, so the image that people are presenting of themselves that's carefully crafted and scripted and staged and that I kind of place upon myself the expectation of matching that standard of having that quality of life or that fun of a life or that fashionable of a life you know and 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 that's a pressure that's on our young people today because they're trying to cause their behind the scenes to look like someone else's highlight reel and it's very difficult to keep up that standard all the time and it's actually a stressor upon young people in the day that we live in now i found this extremely interesting that all across the board there is a category of stressor that I have never heard of before. It's brand new to me, but it held a high percentage of people uh, that, 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 that feel they're, they're overstressed in this category. You know what it is? It's other. <laughs> that there's people that are feeling stress and they don't even know why they're stressed. They, don't even, they can't even tell you exactly what it is. They just know that they're high strung. Now, what is the outcome of this? Because we live in a stressful age, and I'm not saying that maybe, maybe it's not more stressful. Maybe it's always been like this, but yet we all have the propensity to feel stress. So what's the outcome of it? Is that people are high strung. Another uh, outcome of the high stress is that it's causing health issues in people. It's interesting, but if you actually look at the remedy for almost any illness or disease, one of the things that's high on the list both in natural and conventional medicine, is to reduce stress in your life. Because stress causes health conditions, poor health conditions in people, and we see that happening. Uh, Another outcome of high stress is that people are using faulty coping methods. So people are resorting to things in order to cope with their stress that aren't actually working in the big picture to alleviate their stress. It's either pushing it off or in some way it's incrementally increasing the level of stress because it's creating an addiction or creating a habit or it's putting strain on a relationship. It's a coping method that's faulty. It's not working. Another outcome is the levels of anxiety and panic attacks that we're hearing about and experiencing and even feeling within ourselves, not even knowing what it is or where it's coming from. The high level of stress is taking a toll on the health of our soul, and it's causing there to be this anxiety and other mental health conditions. And then another outcome of it is relational complications. The more stressed we become the more we seem to withdraw and isolate ourselves from other people, and thus that creates a whole uh, uh, other set of problems in and of itself. Now, we say all these things about stress, but the big issue with stress is that stress is actually a necessary thing. Stress is actually something that we need within our lives because without stress, we can't get stronger. That's why people go to the gym, right? I mean, we go to the gym and we put stress upon our muscles or upon our cardiovascular system with the intent of in the time of recovery, we are then stronger and then we're able to handle a greater load and it increases our capacity to manage weight. And we couldn't do that without stress. That's why when an astronaut who spends a a, a larger amount of time in space than just maybe a a short mission or a weekend or a couple days, but maybe they're up at the space station for a number of months, they're tending to things. When they come back into Earth's atmosphere and they are again faced with just the basic stress of gravity, it takes them a few days of just laying in a bed for their body to acclimate to just the pressure of being in Earth's atmosphere. So we need stress because if we had no stress at all, we would be so weak we couldn't handle anything. 
And so it isn't that stress is something that we, we need to remove completely from our lives because we can't. In fact, God ordains and sometimes even puts stressors in our lives for the very sake of making us stronger or preparing us for what he has for us to do in the future. And so stress isn't the issue. What is the issue is the way that we handle stress or the way that we cope with stress. And so what we want to look at tonight is we want to look at what God do you who ordains stress and allows stress and uses stress in our lives What have you given to us in terms of how, as your people, those that are alive, those that have your Holy Spirit, what have you given us in order that we might cope with stress in a way that it serves us and yet doesn't sink us? Because that's the whole idea. We want to let stress be our servant and not our master. And so I've given tonight's message a subtitle uh, that kind of encapsulates, no pun intended, what our what what the answer is and that is you can put it up there take a chill fill okay everybody say that take a chill fill okay take a chill fill <laughs> and you'll understand why in just a little bit but i've asked you to turn to mark chapter 4 verse 35 and i want to share with you a very short passage here that illustrates something that happened in the ministry of jesus that is here for the express purpose of helping us know how to manage stress. And I'm so glad that it's in picture form because I do a whole lot better with pictures than I do with words. I can remember a story, something that I've seen much better than something that I have just read or a list that somebody gave to me. Now, just to set the context for what's about to take place is that this event happened very early in the ministry of Jesus. He has just maybe one or two days before this event chosen the 12 apostles that are going to be with him that will one day take the baton out of the hand of Jesus and, and become the apostles of the early church. They've only been walking with him for a few days. Maybe, maybe they had been following along for a while. Maybe they had witnessed or heard some of the teachings, but he has just called them. And what happened immediately after he called them is they spent the better portion of a day sitting on a hillside listening to Jesus teach. That's what happens all throughout the beginning of the chapter. Jesus just giving parables to the multitude, the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, parables of plants and seeds growing up in the kingdom, things that, that, that were just to teach. And then he would explain it to his disciples later on, -on one-on-one, so that they would understand the interpretation. So that's all they've done so far, is that they've seen, observed, heard, sat. But what's about to happen is that Jesus is going to take them further. Jesus is going to move them from easy to complicated. And things are going to get a little shaky by his own intention. And so let's look at what happens. It says in verse 35, it says, and the same day. When the evening was come. So the same day that they sat on a hillside all day and listened to Jesus teach and watched him do miracles. It's at the end of that day now. The sun is beginning to set. And it says that he said unto them, and here's his word, here's command. He said, let us pass over unto the other side. He looked at his disciples after they had been sitting for a while. And he said, It's time to move on. It's time to move forward. I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to say, it's time to move forward. I want you to do it. Look the other way and say, you can't stay here anymore. You can't stay where you are. If you want to grow, then you're going to have to move from the place that you are, and you're going to have to go somewhere else. You're going to have to pass over unto the other side. Now, for these disciples that are gathered here, they're going to go from the classroom into their calling. Thus far, Christianity has been all concept, but they haven't had to put any of it into real life practice. 
They've heard and they've affirmed and they've ascribed to the teachings of Jesus, but they have yet to see it worked out in ways in the real world. And what Jesus is saying is that you have to leave calling and concept and you need to get into the real thing and the rubber needs to meet the road. You're going to go from the familiar to the unknown. And I just wonder right here tonight at the onset of all of this, if there's anyone here tonight that Jesus is whispering in your ear or has been whispering in your ear over the last couple of days or maybe over the last couple of weeks, and he's been saying to you, you can't stay where you are. It's time for you to move. It's time for you to move over to the other side. And for some of you, that means that you have to move away from your past. You have to stop living in the things that are haunting you from when you were a child or from the mistakes that you made maybe in your youth. And it's time to rise up from where you are and it's time to cross over into something else. For some, it's time to move out of the old, out of the old ways of thinking out of the old belief, the belief about yourself that you're not able to fulfill his calling, that you're not good enough, that he doesn't have a plan for your life, to move out of old faith and to move into the faith that he says that, no, you're not enough, but I'm with you and I'm going to use you and I'm going to be with you. For some of you, maybe it's moving out of childhood and moving into adulthood, moving from being dependent on others to being dependable moving from being unstable in your life to being responsible and reliable. And it could be any number of ways in which the Lord is speaking to you, but I need you to understand this, is that the Christian life is a continual series from beginning to end of Jesus taking you from where you are and moving you to where he wants you next. And you can't get away from that. Because no matter where you are, there's always somewhere that Jesus wants to take you next. There's always going to be that word in your heart that says, get in the boat. It's time to move over to the other side. Well, watch what happens in verse 36. It says that when they had sent away the multitude. Now, that's extremely interesting to me to see this is that before you can go, Before there can be a departure from the place where you are, sometimes you have to part with the things that are there on the side that you're on. Now, here's the amazing thing to me in this that Jesus is doing here is because in order for them to move forward, they have to send away the very thing that they are in the place that they're at to have. In other words, sometimes the very thing that you came to, to, where, to get where you are is the thing that you have to get up, give up to get where you're going. What did Jesus come to do? He came to seek and save the lost. He came to publish the kingdom. He came to gather a multitude of people. That's what he came to do. They have it. They've obtained it. And now Jesus is saying, look, you're going to have to send the multitude away, part with what I've given you in this season so that I can bring you forward into what's coming in your next season. And that's important to understand. It's a very important principle in the Christian life. And here's what it is. It's that yesterday's trophy can easily become today's chain if you're not careful. Because sometimes God is moving you into something, not so that you can stay there indefinitely, but some point you're going to have to set down even the thing that you've come to enjoy so that you can proceed and progress in the plan that God has for your future. I think about Abraham, right? And what did God say? He said, I'm going to give you a son. And he waited and he went and he crossed over and he passed from place to place. And God finally brought the son. And what happened? God came to a point where he said, Abraham, it's time to lay him down. It's time to put him on the altar. I'm going to take you further. I'm going to take you deeper even than you thought that you would go. And I wonder again for us what it is that maybe we've obtained God has given to us, but now the thing that we're holding on to that God has given has become the thing that's keeping us bound where we are. You can't move forward sometimes without sending away the multitude. And then watch this. It says that they took him even as he was in the ship. I want you to look at those words again. Listen, it says they took him even as he was in the ship. Now, that's an extremely peculiar phrase, right? And the Bible doesn't waste words. I mean, this whole entire passage is like six or seven verses, and yet that is carefully placed in there word by word like that. They took him 
even as he was already in the ship. Now, I understand in the literal component of the story, Jesus said to them, let us pass over. He's the initiator in this. They had the advantage of being face-to-face with Jesus and hearing that command. Now, that's an advantage that you and I do not have. So when Jesus is tugging on our hearts because he wants to move us from where we are to something else, we don't hear the audible, hey, let's get in the boat. We get an impression. We get a prompting. We get a desire. We get a stirring. There's something in our heart that is prodding us to move into something that's unfamiliar to us. And what we then do, because we're human and because we're fearful naturally, is that we beg Jesus that if we're going to venture into what we feel like he's calling us to, that he would come with us. We say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in faith. Lord, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight, and I'm going to cut off that people, or I'm going to cut off that account, or I'm going to cut off this job, and I'm going to move into what you have for me. But Jesus, please go with me. And here's what we discover, is that we take him even as he already was in the boat. In other words, what we discover is that we're not saying, Lord, come with me, I'm going to go. He's already there, and he's saying, come on, I've been waiting for you. He's not going to go with us. He's already waiting for us in the middle of the transition. They took him even as he was already in the boat. And that is such a great comfort to know that he's already ahead of us. He's not just behind or walking with. He already knows where it is that we're going. And so they took him even as he was in the ship. And it says that there were with him also other little ships. Now I want you to notice this because it's a small detail, but I find it extremely important to the context. Because what it is telling us is that it wasn't just their ship that was at stake in what's about to take place. Now, quick spoiler alert, they're about to hit a major storm and they're about to be in real danger in this venture to walk forward in the will of God. And I want you to see that there were other ships because oftentimes the thing that causes us the most stress in our lives when we face the kind of thing that they're about to face is not how it's going to affect just us, but how it's going to affect all the other little ships that are with us. I know as a dad and as a man, as the provider of my house, as the one who's called and is responsible to lead and tend to and manage the family that God has given to me, I carry the stress not just of my own well-being. That would actually be quite easy if it was just me. I was just talking to a brother before the service, and he told me that his wife is going to be gone with the kids all the following week. And he said, there's more than 24 hours in the day when wife and kids aren't home. And I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. Listen, if it's just you, it's not that big of a deal. But the real stress comes in when you realize that our lives are not independent But there are other people that are looking to us and looking at us and our success is their success and our failure and sinking also becomes their failure and their sinking. And that's where things can get heavy. I often look at my wife and she'll just say, just trust God and pray. Cast your cares upon Jesus. And I say, that's real easy for you. Because if we lose everything, no one's going to come to you and say that you're a fool. You know, you know, they're going to come to me. And she says, I know, I know. And she, you know, she, she's not like annoying like that. But there is something to it when it's not just you that's at stake. It says that there were other little ships that were there. Now watch what happens as they walk by faith and they venture with Jesus onward and forward into their, their destiny. Verse 37. It says that there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. They go. There's expectation. There's hope. There's excitement. There's a buzz. What does Jesus have next for me? There's faith. There's promise. And then there's a storm. Do you know what a storm is? A storm is the reaction that takes place when two different systems collide. 
And so when you have a big mass of warm air and low pressure and a big mass of cool air and high pressure and those two air systems collide, there is a reaction that takes place where water comes out of low pressure, dense air and it becomes a storm and winds begin to swirl and water begins to fall out of the sky and there is an upheaval, there is a storm. And I want you to understand something. And maybe it'll set someone free here tonight who's wondering why their life is so hard in the Lord. Is that any time you try to move from an old system into a new system, you are going to experience storms. Because when systems collide, there's a reaction. When systems collide, there's an upheaval and an overturning. And the result of this storm, this upheaval, it tells us is that there was wind and that there was waves. Now, the wind obviously is a wind of opposition, meaning that they are trying to move forward in a certain direction. And there is a force that is stronger than they are that is seeking to pull them back into the thing that they're trying to get out of. I don't know if you have ever experienced that in your life. Is that when you're trying to move forward in the things of God or in the will of God and the storm hits, you feel that there's something pulling you back to what's familiar, pulling you back to what's comfortable and keeping you from going to the place that God has originally called you to go. The wind happens, but then also there are waves. You know what waves are? Waves are rhythmic, powerful overturnings unstabilizing forces and it says here that they beat on the ship and that they beat on the ship so hard that the ship was now full meaning that these waves got in you say what do the waves represent in scripture i don't know maybe you're new to the bible but the bible tells the story way back when about a man whose name was job you ever heard of him I'll sum up his story like this. Things didn't go good for him. (laughs) And you can read the 42 chapters of it and you'll discover for yourself what it is. But, But what happened to Job essentially is that he was just living a blessed life in the fear of God, minding his business and serving others. And it happened all in the matter of a couple of weeks that he lost everything. He lost his possessions, he lost his wealth, he lost his farm, he lost his land, he lost his kids, he lost his house, he lost everything, including his health. Even his health deteriorated to the point where he was sitting like a leper on a pile of clay shards, scratching himself and wishing that he would die. And then his wife turned on him and she said, why don't you curse God and die? And then his friends turned on him and said, this is obviously happening to you because there's some secret sin in your life. And if you would just repent and get right, maybe things would start going well for you. You know what that is? That's waves. Waves beating and beating and beating. I had a friend a number of years ago. uh, He was an unbeliever. He was a coworker. And uh, I would share the gospel with him as the Lord would lead and, and as he would open up doors. And uh, I saw something happening in his heart. I saw that there was a stirring. And then all of a sudden, uh, as he was looking into the things of God, he went into a storm and he had some waves. And he came into a situation where uh, his wife was in uh, quite a severe car accident and she was hospitalized because of the accident. And it was during that season that some things turned south in the business and his business began to fail. He started to, to, to go under. And so his wife was in the hospital, uh, not knowing what was going to happen to her. His business was failing. And then it turned out that his wife's insurance, whom he was also under, that her company had not been paying into it. So she was in this whole situation. And then he found out that he was going to have to pay for it out of pocket. His wife recovered, but she sunk into a depression and she tried to take her life. And then in the midst of it, he lost his mother and his business ended, ended, ended up going belly up. That's waves, okay? Now, that's a far removed situation from anything of anyone that I know going through currently, but I could tell you if I wanted to about some situations and some people in this church that we're linked to that have some very serious waves, things that are beating upon them. Now, the result for my friend is that he came to Christ. He went from one system into another through a storm and on the other side of it 
all things have been restored and things have gone well. The same for Job. He went through the storm and all things ended well. But I want you to notice what happens to these disciples here. Because it tells us that the waves beat upon the boat. Listen, and it says, so that the boat was now full. Meaning that the pressure of those waves and the danger that those waves represented got in. So that the boat was now under stress that it was not designed to handle. The Bible tells us in the other passage in Luke, it says that they were in danger, that there was actually a situation here where there was real danger involved. And so this is stress, a storm, winds of opposition, waves beating, water getting in. This is the situation that they're in right now. Now, the question you want to ask in this whole thing is that, okay, Jesus is in the boat. Where is Jesus in the middle of this storm? Anybody ever asked that question before? Where is Jesus? And I know Job asked that question. Where is Jesus in the middle of this storm? The answer is given to us in verse 38. It says that he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and they said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He was in the back of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Now, it raises a couple of questions. First of all, why was Jesus in the back of the boat? Because the person who's navigating the direction of the ship is not in the back of the boat. That person is in the front of the boat, and they are looking forward into what's going and giving direction concerning how to navigate the seascape in the particular situation. And I suggest to you that the reason why Jesus was in the back of the boat is because the disciples felt that they didn't need Jesus in the front of the boat because they were experts in this situation. We are fishermen. We know the sea. This is our region. You go in the back. We'll handle the navigation. Jesus said, okay, I'm not needed. I'm just going to hang out back here. It also tells us that Jesus was asleep. Why was Jesus asleep? Probably because no one was talking to him. I imagine that if you wanted to have a conversation with Jesus, Jesus was accessible for conversation. And yet, for whatever reason, no one was talking to him. And so he thought, well, I'm not needed. I'm not being consulted. I'll take a rest. And so he picked up a pillow, and he snuggles his head into it, and he fell into a deep sleep, and he was unaffected by the waves, by the storm, and by the wind. And I'm absolutely amazed by that. And so it tells us then that they awoke him, and they said unto him, Master, don't you care that we perish? Now, isn't this just like us? They awaken Jesus once they realize that they can't help themselves. So they have done everything they can to try to fix the situation. And once they finally come to the realization, it's like, this is way too powerful for us. We can't overcome this. They say, where's Jesus? Oh, Jesus. Look at he's. They wait. Watch this. They wake him and then they blame him. <laughs> so they haven't consulted him. They didn't need him. And now they blame him for not caring that they're in the middle of a storm. Now, confession. Okay. Can we be honest and real? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in a storm where you have been trying to manage, where you've been navigating yourself, where you've been employing everything that you can do to fix a situation, everything except ask Jesus to navigate and talk to him about the situation, and then once you get desperate, you blame him and say, God's not helping me. He's not helping me. He's not even here. He, he might as well be asleep. His presence is withdrawn. I can't, I can't feel him. I can't hear him. I don't know him. Notice that he doesn't arise until he's asked, verse 39. It says that he arose, and watch what he does. It says that he rebuked the wind, and he said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the result was that the wind ceased, and that there was a great calm. He brought an immediate end to a storm that was sinking his disciples with one word he showed his ability and then jesus asked them two questions in verse 40 he said unto them why are you so fearful now it tells us in verse 41 it says that they feared exceedingly and they kind of spoke amongst themselves but nobody responded to this question 
You know, they, they kind of absorbed the rebuke of Jesus when he's standing there in now this peaceful scene. Everybody's covered probably with a little bit of seaweed. They smell like seawater. The boat has water standing in the bottom of it, but now it's perfect, pristine, calm. All the other ships are around. Everybody's watching. The sound carries over the sea. And Jesus looks at them and he says, why are you so fearful? Is there anybody here that has courageous enough to raise their hand and answer to this? How many in here are the type of person that think about an answer in an argument the day after the argument takes place. <laughs> I am raising my hand because I am the epitome of that person, okay? Now, Jesus asks them a very confrontational question here. He says, why are you so fearful? And no one dared say a word. But I wish someone did. I wish there was just one, even Peter, who can't shut up, says nothing in this situation. But I wish there was just one of them that said, why am I afraid? Why am I afraid? I'll tell you why I'm afraid. I'm afraid because two days ago, I was running my own business and I knew where my next meal was going to come from. And now I'm standing here in the middle of the storm and I don't know if I'm going to make it through the night. Why am I afraid? I'll tell you why I'm afraid. I'm afraid because when you called me, to follow you, it was really exciting. And we sat on a hillside and we listened to your amazing teachings and we watched the miracles that you did. And then you said, let's get in a boat. And we thought, this is great. We're going somewhere. This is expectation. This is hope. And maybe Jesus, maybe hopeful expectation to sheer terror in the span of an hour is common for you, but I don't like roller coasters. That's why I'm afraid. And frankly, you might be the son of God, but I have some things on my conscience that I have been just waiting for the gavel to come down upon in my life. And it just so happens that a storm like this would be the perfect way of dealing with the secret sin in my life. That's why I'm afraid. I'm afraid. <laughs> they don't say that. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes we can be that honest with Jesus. Because even though they aren't, Jesus perceives that if they did have the clarity at this moment to verbalize these feelings and these thoughts, that they would need an answer and he'd be the one that would supply it. And so I want you to notice what Jesus says in his second question. Not only why are you so fearful, but second of all, how is it that you have no faith? See, the real answer to the question that Jesus asked first, why do you have no faith? The real answer to that question is because I don't really know you yet. The reason why I'm afraid right now in the middle of the storm is because I'm not familiar enough with your character and with your track record and with your ability to know that it's possible for me to go through a storm and not be afraid. I don't know you well enough to do that yet. See, faith in Jesus is required if you're going to have peace in storms. And here's why. Because you will never know the outcome of a given situation. And you will never know what the future holds concerning any situation that you're in. And so the only thing that you can know is the person, or should I say the God, who has brought you into the situation, who also promises that he's going to bring you through the situation, and thus when you know that he is the one that never fails to do what he started to do, then you're able to have peace in the middle of a storm. It's not about knowing how things are going to play out. It's about knowing who is in control of your life when it is that you're going through the storm. See, that's how Job got through the storms and didn't retreat back and fall away. I want you to listen to something that Job said. It's Job chapter 23, verse 8. Job said, behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And I go backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he does work, but I cannot behold him. I can't see him. He hides himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. In other words, Job says, I'm in the middle of the situation. I look in front of me. I can't see God. I look behind me. I can't see God. I look my left. I look to my right. I can't see God. But here's what he does see. He says in verse 10, 
He says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. See, he didn't see what God was doing. He didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but he knew the God that was bringing him through that storm. And thus in the very middle of it, when he was in the dark, he was able to look and say, I know that he knows me and that when he's done doing what he's going to do, not only am I going to survive this, but I'm going to survive this as gold. See, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. That's why David could say in Psalm chapter 37, He could say that the steps of a man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. He says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. David said, listen, you are going to have times in your life where you're going to fall. You're going to have times in your life when you're in darkness. You're going to have times where the waves are beating against the boat and there is real danger that you might sink. But the character and nature of the one who has called you into that boat and is leading you through that storm is that he is going to bring you through to the other side and your rest is found in knowing him, that that's his character. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and it's the evidence of things not seen. Therefore, without faith, you cannot rest in a storm. If you don't know God, then you have no help. It's knowing him that brings us through the storm. Faith is required, but faith is also the answer to the golden question. And the golden question is how, how, how do I rest? How do I apply and appropriate faith when I'm undergoing the stresses of life? What is the practical? Is it just saying, well, Jesus knows I'm better. Anybody tried that? (laughs) How do we do this? Why is Jesus sleeping? Okay, aside from the fact that they weren't praying and that he was in the back of the boat and they didn't need him. Aside from all that, why was Jesus sleeping at this time? You know why? Because it was time to sleep. It's nighttime, right? It says that it was evening when they got into the boat to go to the other side. And and when they arrive where they're going, it's going to be morning and they're going to have a whole day of real intense ministry, real intense interaction. They're going to meet demons. They're going to meet people that need healing. They're going to meet the dead that need to be raised. I mean, the next day is going to be a full day. And Jesus is going, you know what? I got, I had a full day. I got another one coming. So you know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to sleep. And Jesus went to sleep in the back of the boat because it was time to sleep. But here's the illustration. Is that, and listen, because this is important. Is that Jesus was in the position of greatest rest. While the disciples were in the position of greatest stress. And yet they were both in the same exact circumstance. One was not less endangered than the other it was exactly the same and yet jesus at perfect rest and the disciples were out of their minds with anxiety and fear and stress and worry and what jesus wanted them to see what jesus wants us to see it's why it's here in the bible is that it is possible to go through the severest of storms and yet in our soul to be at perfect rest in the middle of it That the stress of it is not sinking us, but it is strengthening us. The stress of it is being our servant, yet it is not mastering us. So how do you do it? Here's the answer. Grab your pillow. Better yet, well, well, I'll say it like this. you, You can, in any storm, you can reach for a pillow or you can reach for a bucket, right? I mean, if the waves are coming in, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to beat this storm back. Or you could reach for a pillow, say, I can't do anything. And so I'm just going to do it. How do you rest when the waves are beating you? You take a pill, Xanax, a little extra NyQuil. What do you do so that you can rest in seasons of intensity? I will suggest to you that the answer, I'm not going to suggest to you, I'm going to tell you according to what God says, that the answer 
to that is not to take a pill, but to take a fill. Okay? Take a fill. Now, I'm on this, I know this is so corny, but you're going to remember it. I'm on this stupid antibiotic, okay? Doxycycline for this Lyme thing, all right? And I look at these little tablets and I count them. I loathe them. I can't wait for the day when it's done and it's over, you know? And so I, I'm looking at this and I actually took a picture of it. It's going to go up on the screen right now. This is actually a picture of the pill that I have to take every 12 hours. And I look at these things and I loathe them and I see it and there's a B. 312, B312, B312, B3. And I don't know if you ever have to take, I'm not a big prescription guy. I don't like doctors. Don't write me letters. <laughs> but but I, every time I see a pill, there's like this inscription, B312, B312. Listen, listen, listen. I want you to take a fill. Here's the fill. This is Photoshopped. Please, I know it's corny, but put up the next one. I asked Gracie, see that? P467, see that? P four, six, seven, P four. When you are stressed, when the waves are beating on you, God has given you a fill, a P four, six, seven. Look at Philippians chapter four, verse six. And listen, if you tune me out, tune me back in. We're almost finished. Listen, this is the way to take a pillow and to rest when the waves are rising up, there is one way. And I'm so thankful that there is one way. Because if there was 10 ways, I would never know which one to choose. And I would get confused and not do any of them. There is one way and it is foolproof. Watch. It says this. It says, be careful for nothing. Now, I like the King James here because this word is very picturesque. You see the word careful? The word careful comes from the word carry. Meaning, carry nothing. Now, we just saw a boat that was full. It was careful, right? It was carrying water, and it was full. It was a very careful boat. And what the Bible is telling us here is that we are to be full of no cares. We're to be care empty. We're not to have cares. We're not to fill up with cares. We're not to carry things. Nothing is to be carried. Be careful for nothing. Now, that's very simple, right? That's like, remember that Saturday Night Live sketch from years ago where the, the person would come into the, the, the shrink's office and tell them their condition, and the shrink would look across the desk, pound on his fist, and say, stop it. And that was the whole of his counsel. That was it. Stop it. Have you ever had someone do that in your life? Stop it. <laughs> you know, oh, you're unhappy? Be happy. You know, oh, you're stressed out? Stop being stressed. Oh, you're worried? <laughs> Cast your cares off. Stop worrying. That's a very big thing to say. You better give me a way to do that if you're going to tell me to do that. So if I'm not to carry anything, what am I to do? He says, but in contrast to that, in everything, watch, by prayer, that's talking to God, and supplication, that's asking God, that's conversating, that's being specific and laying things out before God verbally and item by item. It's supplicating. I'm I'm giving God my requests. So in everything by prayer and supplication, watch this, it's important, listen, with thanksgiving. And the reason why thanksgiving is important is because thanksgiving is where I get perspective. Thanksgiving is the part where I say, Lord, thank you for the trials that I'm going through right now. Thank you for the season of life that I'm in because I know that the enemy would want to use these things to sink me, but you're using these things to strengthen me and prepare me for what is yet to come that I don't even see what's coming yet. Because your word says that the, the trials and the sufferings of this present age aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us in the future. So thank you for this problem, this trial, this stress that's in my life right now. That's perspective. So prayer, supplication, With thanksgiving, he says, let your requests be made known to God. Now, that is taking a fill. To take the fill means that you do what the Bible is telling you to do when you are full of cares, when you're carrying things, when you're stressed out, when you feel the load on you. Now, that's on you whether you're going to do it or not. You don't have to do it. But if you don't, you're in the front of the boat with a bucket, and Jesus is in the back sleeping just waiting for you to wake him up. And say, peace be still. Now, you say, well, what happens if I do that? Because that sounds incredibly simple. One of the greatest promises in the Bible is in verse 7. Look at it. It says this. Here's the promise. You do your part. God does his. 
It says, and the peace of God. What did Jesus say to the storm? Peace, be still. It says the peace of God, which passes all understanding. What does that mean? It means it doesn't make sense that I'm experiencing peace on the inside right now, even though the waves are still rising up on the outside. It passes understanding. It doesn't logically play out because I kind of hoped that he would end the storm, but he didn't end the storm because I have to get where I'm going. But what he did do is he created a calm on the inside of me that's carrying me through the storm and I'm able to endure it. It says that the peace that passes understanding will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to take a fill? It means that when you're feeling stress, you go to God and with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, you lay out before him the things that are causing worry, anxiety, heaviness, stress, pushing you towards bad coping methods or any of the other things that stress does to you. You take it to God and you do what he told you to do. And now it's on him to do what he said that he would do. You know, the passage in Mark ends in verse 41 with them being astonished and amazed. They were exceedingly astonished, and they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea? They were astonished that he was able to do the things that he said that he was going to do. It passes all understanding. Now listen, by way of conclusion, I want to share quick thoughts with you, and we're done. You are not going to and cannot move forward in your experience with Jesus Christ without going through storms. Because storms are a natural consequence of systems colliding. And when you want to move from where you are to where God wants to take you, you are going to go through storms. And listen to me. If you don't and I don't learn how to rest in the storms that we go through, what's going to happen is that eventually we will stop moving forward. Because the stress of the storm... The pain of the trials and the waves, the unknown of what's going to happen when we venture out is going to overwhelm us to the point where we no longer go forward and we stop and we say, Jesus, I'm good right where I am. And little by little, we will build prison walls around ourselves, and we won't venture into new things. We won't want to grow anymore. We will wish ourselves into the next stage of life and towards retirement. And ultimately, our longing for heaven will become very unhealthy. You say, wait a minute. A longing for heaven being unhealthy? Yeah, you can have an unhealthy longing for heaven. There's a healthy longing for heaven. I don't think there's any one of us here that doesn't long to be home. There's a great longing for home. But if you're in the middle of your workday when you're supposed to be productive, when there's things and responsibilities that you have that you're supposed to do, and all you can think about is being home and you're not engaged in what you're supposed to be right now, that's an unhealthy longing for home. And here's the reality, is that if God has us in this planet right now, he's got us in this planet because there are things for us to do, things for us to learn, things for us to experience, and places for us to grow. And if we don't learn how to rest in the storm, we will stop growing, we'll stay where we are in unbelief, and we'll build the prison, and we'll just wait for the day when Jesus calls us home or when he comes back, and we will not experience what it is that he's called us to experience. Storms are necessary. We must learn how to grow. And here's what I need you to know, is that if Jesus is in your life, you're going to make it through the storms, because he's in the boat. There is not one boat that Jesus has ever been in ever that has sunk. Not one ever. Even if a fish has to swallow you and spit you out where you're supposed to go. If Jesus is in your life, listen, you are going to make it through the storm. But you have a choice. And here's your choice. Is that you can go through the storm with a bucket or with a pillow. What's the bucket? The bucket is your feeble attempts to try to get water out of the boat. I got to do what I can. 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 Do you know what you're doing when you are shoveling buckets of water back out of the boat? You're feeding the waves. 
You're giving strength to the thing that's... You're giving back. It's the same thing. I got to do what I can. I can't sleep tonight because if I don't sleep, if I sleep, then I'm not, it's not fair for me to sleep. I can't, I can't put it down. That's a bucket. Go through with a bucket. I can go through with a pillow. It's out of my hands. I can't control this. I can't control this. I can't control the decisions my kids make. I can't control what's going to happen in the economy. I can't control what's going to happen in my health. I can't control what's going to happen in my future. I can't control what's going to happen in the future of my job. I don't know if my spouse is going to stay. I don't know if the relationship is ever going to get better. I don't know where or if I'll go to school or if I won't or what this is going to result in. I don't know what if or if I'll ever get married or have... The, I, I, I can't control any of that. And so I rest. And I say, I don't know what, but I do know who... And so I'm going to take a fill. You say, what does that mean? I do nothing? No. Jesus said these most profound words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. A glorious invitation accompanied with the only autobiographical statement he ever made about himself. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And he said that I will give you what? Rest. And then here's the key. He said, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And here's the promise. And you will find rest for your souls. What do we do? We take his yoke upon us. And he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Meaning that I have things that I have to manage. And I have responsibilities and things that I have to tend to. That are ordained of him. And I give myself to those things. But when my responsibilities and the things that I tend to cross the line and they become worry or they become fear or they become anxiety, I'm no longer carrying his yoke. I've taken upon myself something that he's supposed to carry. And so that's the indication to me when I start to feel those things that I need to get close to him again and come back into a place of rest because I've moved outside of the boundaries of what he has. We need storms. We need to learn how to rest in the storms. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, I'm going to give thanks, I'm going to trust, and I'm going to do what's before me. He gave this invitation, and it's a twofold invitation I want to extend to you. You may be here tonight, and you know Jesus already. You're saved. You're a believer. But if you're honest, there's a bucket in your hand. And your pillow is dust covered and you haven't seen it in a very long time. And the invitation that Jesus has for you tonight is to come to you that are weary. Come to him, you who are weary and heavy laden. And place it upon him. Take a fill. Take a chill fill. And rest. To those of you that don't know Jesus personally, there is not a coping strategy in the world that will ever help you to successfully navigate the stressors of this life, the waves and the storms. And because you don't know him and he's not in the boat, you will aimlessly wander seas and continents and lands, searching for purpose, searching for meaning, searching for rest. But you're never going to find it. And the same invitation is given to you. Come to me. And what Jesus did for you is that Jesus took your place on a cross bearing the sins that you committed and releasing for you the gift of forgiveness and a right standing with him, not because of anything that you earned, but because of what he did completely for you. And he extends the invitation for you to come to him, but what you find when you come to him is that he's already waiting in the boat. And you join, you have a relationship with him. And the way that you come into that relationship is you simply call on him and you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to come into my life. I want you to save me of my sins. And the Bible says that when you do that, that God answers that prayer. He honors that request and he comes in. Father, we just pray tonight, Lord, as we close the service and, and Lord, as we hear these things, we, we recognize, Lord, our need for you. And we ask you, Jesus, that you would cause these things to be translated into the circumstances that we find ourselves in and that you would teach us and help us, Lord, 
that we would really know you, that we would really trust you, and that you would teach us, Lord, what it means to cast our cares because you care for us. So help us, Father. I pray for those tonight that feel overwhelmed, for those that feel heavy, for those that feel in need, that, Lord, you would show yourself strong on their behalf. And I pray for those that don't know you tonight, Lord, that you'd move them from the place of doubt and fear to the place of faith and strength. So knock on our hearts. Come into our lives and lead us. Take us to the other side. Whatever that is right now, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.